Let's head over to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 2. Chapter 2 in the book of Acts, as we continue in a series that we are calling that the marks, this morning, the marks of the church. I would, there was an account that uh, some of you are familiar with. There's a, a show that used to be on TV. Any of you remember it? Anybody remember? Kids say the weirdest things. Yes? No? Okay. Anybody who raises their hand is over 60. I understand. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we saw that show. It was, a, it was a show where this guy, Art Linkler, would interview the little kids. And there was always spontaneous, off-the-cuff things. And the kids would say some of the most um, surprising, funniest, embarrassing, uh, put any adjective you want in there. They'd say things and make comments. And so they made this whole show all about kids saying the wildest types of things. Here are some of the things that have had the questions that were answered and some of the answers. When he asked one child, have you ever been in love? No, but I've been in like. <laughs> Do you have any brothers or sisters? A two-month-old brother. How does he behave? He cries all night. What is that? Uh, why is that, do you think? He probably thinks he's missing something on television. I don't think so. Do you have any brothers and sisters? No. Would you like some? Sure, I'm lonesome. What does your mother say when you ask for one? She just groans. <laughs> what is your daddy's job? My daddy's a uh, school teacher. Oh, that's a fine profession. Does he like it? He only has one thing to complain about. What's that? The kids. The kids, yeah. <laughs> What would you like to be when you get older? A stewardess. Whoa. What if a plane was in danger over the Rocky Mountains? What would you do as a stewardess? I'd put parachutes on everybody, and if there wasn't any parachutes, I'd sew sheets into parachutes real fast, and then put extra pillows with those people so if the sheets rip on the way down, they can land on something soft like the pillows. Girls really thought it through. What did your mommy tell you not to say on this TV program? My mother told me not to tell any of our family secrets, like the time she dyed her hair blonde and it came out purple. So he asked one child as they were doing pictures, what are you drawing? I'm drawing a picture of God. But I've heard it said that no one has ever seen God, so no one looks at what he looks like, to which the boy confidently replied, when I get done, they'll know what he looks like. Okay. So we really don't know what the church of Jerusalem looked like in those early days. But we hope that by the time we get done with Acts chapter 2, we have a little bit of a glimpse. We're in Acts chapter 2. We're down towards the latter half of the chapter. And it is said, after we've had these, the occasions, that Peter has preached the word. Remember, it's on Pentecost, that's Sunday. Jesus said he's going to build the church, and so he started the building. He got the 12 together, and then he said, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost. They go out with the filling of this spirit, with the baptism of the spirit, and they begin preaching the word of God. They're in Jerusalem, around that temple area where they were gathered, apparently. And so as they preach, he gives an invitation. They, some are asking, what do we do? And he says, you need to repent. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And we read in the, as the story goes on that some of those people responded. Then they, verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them, that is, the previous group of believers of 120, about 3,000 souls. But what were these people like? What did they do? 
what as a group now, as an added body together, what did they get involved in? How did they act towards one another? Well, that's what we read in the next few verses. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and with singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. So now we get a glimpse, though we don't know, we get a little bit of an idea what did they look like. What did that initial church, how did they act? How did they respond? How did they treat one another? What were they like? And what did God, in his initial moments of starting this church, what kind of people did he put together? There are several clear indications of what they were like, several marks of that early church. Number one is they were converted. They were people who were who were individuals who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They weren't a group of people who just gathered because it was the tradition of the family. They didn't just gather because it was the thing to do in their country to get together on that first day of the week. They were individuals who believed in Jesus Christ. Let me see if I can help to explain this. This is not the church. The church is not a building, it is not property, it is not organization. What's here sitting here this morning, what's gathered with us, maybe some even on, on the live stream, the church is the people. Because we read in scriptures, greet the church that is gathering in a house. They're not greeting a church building, they're greeting people. We read in scriptures that you the body, are no more strangers and foreigners from one another, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles, Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone, in whom this building, these people, are fitly framed together, growing as a holy dwelling place of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, in whom we are being built together as time goes on for a habitation for a place where God can meet, God can work, God can move, God can minister in and through. And he says that via the Holy Spirit. The church is those people who by one spirit are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, for the body is not one member, it is many. Put together so as to help to function like a physical body. There are little bodies of Christ all over our country gathered this morning together. And some of the different individuals are the eyes, the toes, whatever, but they come together, they're united through this common bond that they have put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior. They're not trusting in their baptism. They're not trusting in their kindness, their goodness, their nationality or their families. They have made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. So the first thing that we read is they're converted people. But those who have received the word of God and then followed in that act of baptism, they were not only showing their conversion, but they were people who were committed. The word that stands out here is they continued steadfastly. The idea is a very urgent, a very strong, a very impacting idea that they set a course and this is what they were going to do. 
They weren't going to be persuaded. They weren't going to be deviated. They weren't going to be distracted. They were going to do certain things that they felt were really, really important in their spiritual life, for their spiritual growth. One of those that they said that they were committed steadfastly, that they were really devoted to, that they were really engaged in, is the apostles' doctrine. Now remember, the apostles are the ones who we talked about in chapter 1, the witnesses of him. That you shall be witnesses of Christ. They were saying, we want to make sure we testify. They were the ones who had walked with Christ through his human ministry so that they could verify his resurrection, his good works. They could verify that they have seen him in the flesh. And so all these people who are joining that, 3,000 plus as others are joining, they would say, we want to hear from you. You who have yet to inscripturate, to write in a Bible, we want to hear from you verbally. Orally, tell us about Jesus. Tell us his teachings. Tell us about the times he taught you when he wasn't speaking in a crowd. Tell us the lessons. Tell us the interpretations of the parables that he spoke openly, but then he told you in private. Teach us. Teach us the word of God. And this idea was that even in the midst, and this strikes me, even in the midst of the apostles doing wonderful deeds, doing miracles, did you see where it says that many wonders and signs were still being done? They didn't gather to see the wonders and the miracles. They didn't gather to be wowed. They gathered to learn. They gathered to be instructed. They gathered because in their mind, more important than seeing something phenomenal, something incredible. They wanted to hear the living uh, truths from God's word. They knew that that's where they would grow thereby. They were individuals that were dedicated to the study of God's word. Now, that's a theme that comes through the New Testament. Through the New Testament, through the epistles, the apostles wrote this idea that you need to be studying the Word of God because the church is to be not a community event only, not a community you know, fellowship. It is to be the pillar and the ground of truth. We are to know the truth. We are to stand upon the truth. We are to be a lighthouse of truth. But how can we do that if we don't understand the truth? How can we be holding up if we don't know what, what the Word of God says? So he tells us that we're supposed to take heed to doctrine. He tells us that we're supposed to become sound in our doctrine. The implication is that you and I are to learn more than just Jesus is the Savior. We are supposed to be taught and trained in, discipled in learning all things whatsoever he has commanded. Therefore, we need to be engaged in teaching and learning and studying the Word of God. That's the mark of the early church, that they were committed to this idea of really engaging in the Word. Something else, they were committed to the body, to the body that they were added to. We read that because of two things. They were added unto and then they were continuing steadfast to that group that they were added to. And so this concept of, you know, joining together was very important because the fellowship has the idea of teammates. The fellowship that Koinonia has the idea of we were partners. The fellowship has the idea that we are sharing together. 
as one person was just sharing yesterday about when they were in high school, that when their football team was working together during the season, they would eat together, they would hang around together so they would form an even stronger camaraderie. camaraderie. That's exactly what the New Testament church practiced. That they were engaging in one another. That they were involved with one another's life. They were committed to each other. That they were individuals who spent time together. It's so much so that it says daily they were in one accord in the temple. That they engaged each other. They knew about each other. There's lots of thoughts that just come down to how we can flesh this out. I, I think it's important in our day and age to just pause and to say, hey, listen, there are two things that are going by the wayside in modern Christianity. One is doctrine and truth. We are encouraged as churches to get away from teaching and entertain. Do more and more stuff. We are asked by even folk within our fellowship over the years, why don't we just do more games and more fellowships? Nothing wrong with that. But when we gather, the primary goal of this gathering is instruction in the Word of God. The greatest business we can be involved in as we get together is getting into the Word of God, teaching the Word of God. And so over the years, we have made this our cornerstone of this church is we're going to make sure that the integral part of our teaching, of our classes, is not just getting together to share ideas week after week after week after week after week. Not just to get together and to try to just, you know, let's talk about the weather, which, you know, that's not a fun anyway. Let's talk about politics. That's not even, we don't even want to go there. The real thing we need to talk about is we need to talk about what does Jesus want us to do? How does he want us to live? And the other thing that seems to go by the wayside is a devotion to the local church. There seems to be a trend, to me it seems to be a trend, that there is more and more of an idea, as long as I'm part of this big universal body of Christ, I don't need a local church. I don't need to join one. I don't need to be committed to one. I'll go and get what I can out of it, but I'll make no commitment and no contribution. You do not understand the New Testament concept of the early believers. The early believers were added to it and continued steadfastly in the koinonia, the fellowship of one another. That means several things. Even though this thing was totally new and totally, totally novel to them, they swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. These individuals did not isolate themselves to avoid getting together with other believers. They sought out the fellowship as much as they could. Why is that? Because they understood a reality. A reality that we need the other Christians to help us to grow. We need other believers to help us to be accountable. We need other believers to help point out areas where we need to make change. We need one another to have examples on how to serve Christ better. How did I learn to pray? (laughs) 
It wasn't the church that I went to that caught, caught, caught canned prayers. It was gathering on prayer times and listening to saints pray from the heart. How did I learn to do parenting? It was by watching a lot of our own people here in this church. Those who were doing a great job and saying, hey, listen, they did this. Maybe, Deb, we should try that. That idea of needing the body of Christ is so important. It is so vital. It's been a generational thing. G. Campbell Morgan, a preacher who has written, you, many of you know, different commentaries and things, he was visiting somebody in his church who had drifted from attending services. I don't know if they had COVID back then, but something caused them to drift. And he stopped tending. So Morgan went to visit this man, and as he sat with him by the hearth of you know, the fire and the, enjoying the, the hearth and the, the, everything there, the man made a comment. He said, well, I've come to this point that I realize I don't need to go to church anymore as much as I used to because I'm really matured in the Lord. And so Morgan didn't say anything, but he just took one of the tongs by the fireplace and pulled out one of the coals and pulled it off to the side. And within minutes, you know what happened to that coal? And he looked at the man and he said, that's, that's how nature works, even in the spiritual realm. The man started started with tears and he said, it's happened to me, but I didn't want to admit it. It happens when more and more we either want to get away from the Lord or we don't want to serve like we used to. We pull back and all it does is intensify the coldness. The fervor for serving Christ is maintained by fellowshipping with other disciples. I need your fervor. I need your example. You need one another's encouragement, example. You need the body of Christ. Let me be very blunt about this. For those who are still because of COVID, saying that it's become comfortable to watch live stream at home, you have become too comfortable spiritually. You need the fellowship of Christ. Not forsaking the assembly as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another, even as you see the day approaching. We are in the end times. We need one another more and more. We need it more and more on a regular basis to keep our heart steady in the Word of God, to be faithful in the Word of God. You know what strikes me as well about this early group? They didn't seek to get together the minimum amount of time. You see, there's the thought now that said, goes this way. The, I don't, the pious thought is, well, the Bible says we only need to go to church on Sunday. And never says how often on Sunday. So if I only go just one hour a week, then that's enough. It is seeking the minimum. It is not what the New Testament church did. The New Testament church acted this way. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. They weren't looking for the minimum number of times to go to church. They were trying to maximum, maximize the number of opportunities. Oh, I understand that we don't meet daily, and neither did they over the course of time. 
They, over the course of time, after the, after the initial church started spreading out, then they shifted their program, and they were meeting the one day of the week. But why is there the attitude, I don't need to be under the Word of God for Sunday school? You know enough already? If you do, great. I know I need it. Why is there attitude, I don't need Bible studies during the course of the week? Why is there an attitude that Sunday night is not important? And I'm not saying that it is sin that if you aren't here every time we do something. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this. There is wisdom to get under the Word of God. There is benefit as much as possible not seeking the least amount. You know what strikes me as well? They were committed not just to come and sit in a service. They were committed to participate. They weren't spectators. They were koinonia with one another. They were helping one another. They were contributing. They even know each other's needs well enough that they know what to sell in order to help somebody out. So here they were in this New Testament body. They were individuals who were really committed to the study of the Word of God, committed to the fellowship of the saints. Does that characterize you? Let me me show you something else. They were committed to the breaking of the bread. Now, I don't know what that means for sure. Because in the original language, it says, the breaking of the bread. Does that refer to communion? I think so. But does it return to refer to other meals? That I know so as well from the text, that they were having meals one with another. And according to 1 Corinthians 11, it probably means both. Because they would have their gatherings and they would meet and they would have meals together and they would often finish them off with the Lord's Supper. And that became a problem because some were showing off their meals, and et cetera, their, their goods, and etc. But here's what I do know from this. The early church believers, they worshipped the, the, the idea of communion regularly. Now we're allowed to do it as often, as little, or as often as we want. We've chosen monthly. But we need to be committed to that idea. And when we do it, to acknowledge what Christ has done. I also know that as they went from house to house with one another, according to verse 26, uh, 46, excuse me, that when they were gathering together, that they got together beyond just the public gathering at the temple in one accord. That they spent time. They didn't isolate from one another at a distance. They wanted to get to know each other. <clears throat> they wanted to enjoy fellowship. Maybe it's because they were in a minority. Maybe it was because that they were finding that they needed one another in a community that had shown hostility to Christ. And at this point was not showing them that hostility, but they were sensing it's coming. Because Jesus told us it was. But they hovered around one another. They strengthened one another. They got to know one another. It wasn't just coming, sitting and heading out. There was real fellowship done to the point they knew each other's needs. And I have to ask myself this question. Does it characterize Deb and I? Do we just go through the motions on Sunday and fulfill our obligation and then disconnect with people through the week? That shouldn't be. 
Should there be the engaging, the hospitality, the getting together with people? People beyond our little circle of family or close friends? Yeah. Something else that they were committed to. They were committed, and it says, the prayers. Not just prayers in general. It's, again, it's a, it's a definitive idea that they were committed in this idea that, that the in prayers or in the prayers, it's a couple different possibilities here. Could it be that they were committed to what was part of their Jewish culture? Go to prayer on a regular time several, several times a day, but now they were really doing it. Well, we know in Acts chapter 3 that's exactly what the apostles were doing. Could it mean that they were committed to the idea of let's get together and pray? And let's pray either as individuals or as groups. I don't know. But I do know this encouragement from Scripture, that the early believers, when it says that them all, they, that they really valued prayer. Not for somebody else to do, but for them to do. That they were individuals that they wanted to pray because now, even though they fell asleep in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, now they were dedicated saying, we need to pray. While we were in the upper room, while we go to worship, while we face persecution, we need to pray and we need to pray. And the apostles got a handle on this idea that prayer is really important. Have you? Have you gotten the grip that says, it is important that when we have a monthly prayer meeting, that I give time to come and to pray. It is important that I have a, a time of praying with my family. It is important that I have a time praying privately. You can't give the excuse that you're a new convert. You can't give the excuse that you're so mature, you don't need it. The apostles did. So these people are committed individuals. Committed as well with the idea that they really valued the power of prayer. Do you remember a number of years ago, Rosebud prayed, everything was going wonderful until one of the floats stopped, held up the parade until somebody got a gas can and refilled the tank? And the irony of it is, the place, the float that should have no shortage of gasoline, standard oil. The place, the people should have no shortage of desire to pray and to talk to the King of Kings. But too often we run out of gas. And we're the ones that have the communication lines with him. These individuals are marked by something else. Not only converted, not only committed, they were cherishing. I, don't, I, I needed a C word and I didn't know how else to do it. I wanted to get across this concept. Fear came upon every soul. What's that mean? The word fear is phobia. It is the idea that, you know, that you could be, ooh, just stifled in, you know, like in your dreams, you have the dream of something after you and you can't run. 
Anybody else have those weird dreams? Thank you, thank you, okay. And so, you, you, you know, it's that idea. But that's not the only idea. That's something dreaded or something awful. It is used of God several hundred times in scriptures to fear God. These people, after they got saved, they were with believers and they hear from the apostles, they're being instructed, and as they're doing that, there is a growing fear upon their souls. The word in translated in this text could be this reverence, could be holding him in awe, just being fascinated by him. New believers were not flippant. The new believers they had a holy respect for God. These new believers were individuals who were learning more about him and his person, and they were being moved by it. So, define for me, what is the fear of God? We're told to have the fear of God. What is it? So, so afraid of God that you don't want to talk about him? Yes, no? So afraid that the kid, is a, the kid you tell him that God is with you at all times, they think he's a boogeyman in a closet? No? What is the fear of God? When, when we say the fear of God is the, the, what comes to mind? Okay. One of the first thoughts that come to my mind is the fear of God is the beginning of what? Okay, so if we're going to get smarter, wiser, we have to understand the fear of God. Okay, what is it? Somebody was commenting here. Respect. Okay. Um, anybody want to build upon that? Reverential fear. Anybody else? What did you say? Homage? Knowledge. Okay. Acknowledging his greatness. Okay. I think you're all right. Is there more? Okay, obedience. What? His holiness. Okay. A fear of without him? Okay. Does the fear of God, does it, how, do, how should it impact our life? Change what? Okay. Guide us? Okay. Make it a study. Do this for fun. Okay. Make it a study. Just go through scriptures about the fear of God. You've got hundreds of them to look at. But just to summarize some of them, it is, as some of you have said, it is getting a grip of God's greatness and his power. If we get a true idea of how great he is as a person, as an individual, virtue as well as ability, wow. Reverential, wow. Respectful, wow. It is, it is the idea described in Scripture as gratitude in worship. The fear of God is expressed in gratitude of worship. Why is that? Because what could a holy God have done to us? Strike us down. And what did he give us? Mercy and grace. Oh, man. Proverbs says that the fear of God will result in a hatred of sin, a rejection of sin. Because... One, I respect you, I, I reverence you, reverence you so much, I know you hate sin, you don't want it in my life. 
as well, it's a contentment in the way and the will of God, according to Proverbs 23. The fear of God is becoming content. I am not fearful to say, God, how dare you not allow me to eat from every fruit in this garden? But I respect you so much, I realize you have restrictions and I'll follow them. It is an amazing thought to come into worship and not come in here and say, I hope he goes fast today, which isn't happening. Um, you know, and I, I'm just so, it is walking in and saying, this is us gathering together to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lord. This is the one we come to worship from whence our help comes. Our help comes from he who created the heavens and the earth. This is a time he has said we should gather to encourage one another, to exalt him, to praise his name, to listen closely to his instructions with reverence and awe. Something else that these people had, they had compassion. They had a compassion. It says in this passage, and it says, all that believed were together, had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And I read this and go, whew, this is exactly what Jesus talked about. This idea of love. Jesus made it a major theme of his ministry and then through the epistles. That love was supposed to be characteristic of us. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, love one another. Sacrifice, patience, pointing out where we need to grow. Not with arrogance, but with kindness and accountability. Encouraging, building up. And he's praying for one another. Then the apostles pick up on this. Love one another as brothers and sisters. Let us watch out for one another and provoke love. Let us love one another because love is of God. If we love one another, God remains in us. And remember what Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And then he made it clear through the scriptures what he passed on that this love is supposed to be active. Not just Okay, I love. It's supposed to be showing how we relate to one another, how we treat one another, how we engage one another, how we help one another, how we visit one another, how we minister to one another, how we exalt or esteem others better than ourselves. And so the New Testament church, they bought into it. Here we read in this text how, the, how they bought into buying and selling for one another. And you think, well, that is something that's just kind of real rare to the New Testament in those earlier... Uh-uh. Here's a letter, historical letter, written, written to the Emperor Hadrian, and it was from around 125 A.D. And so we're talking now even decades after the book of Acts. One writes to the emperor about this group called the Christians. If one or other of them have servants or bond ladies or children, through love towards them, they persuade those servants to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call those slaves their brothers and sisters without distinction. 
They do not worship strange gods. They go in their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. And they love one another. And from widows they do not turn away their esteem. They deliver orphans from him who treats the orphan harshly. And he who has gives to him who doesn't have without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes. They rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but they call them brethren after the Spirit and in God. This is a critic. This is somebody saying how these people are evil, but here's what I found. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to that person's burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously pray for his necessity. And if at all possible, they will even redeem him so as to set that one free from prison. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they will even fast two or three days in order then to supply to the needy from their lack of food. That's amazing. That's Christianity. That's what we're to be doing. So I go and say, you know, there's a group of people that are very critical of this text. They say this is communism. This is socialism. That these people had to sell their stuff and with the idea that they had all things common. That's terrible. That's modern socialism that there's to be in a sharing and equality of wealth shared to everybody. (laughs) That is not the case. This isn't communism, something that denies God. This is Christianity living the way it was supposed to live. That people voluntarily gave, not forced like communism. That people still could have their own homes that they met in and their own possessions. But they charitably gave up some of the things that they enjoyed so as to help out one another. You look at this and go, that's compassion. That's reaching out. That's not isolating. That's injecting yourself into the lives of other believers in a positive way. That's what Christ's church was like. There's one other characteristic, and it's this. They were cheerful. The girl sang about it. Probably should have had them, if I thought this through, sing at the very end. The song was so appropriate because it fits right what this passage says. It says at the end, they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. There's these people that were characterized by an attitude of exalting the Savior whom they worship. Praising him in their daily life, not just on Sunday morning, but even in the community. They were showing their gratitude to God, expressing this, sharing this, talking about the wonderful works of God. And as a result, what happens? Well, look at the passage. As a result, we read they had favor with all people. What's that mean? They had a wonderful testimony in their community. People knew there was something different about them. People that they worked with, they went to school with, people that they, that they lived next to, they looked and said, that's good. 
That's wholesome. That's what I would like for my family. What happened to you? And as a result, the Lord was using them to share the gospel, to reach into the hearts and lives of others. Because what did Jesus say? By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love one towards another. It was just an automatic, God-impacting testimony that they had in their community. So we bring it together and say, okay, checklist. New Testament believers. Converted, yep. Committed, yep. Cherishing, yep. Compassionate, yep. Cheerful, yep. They met the marks. But that's not, we're not judging them. We're not here to find out if they were the real thing. Who are we supposed to be examining? Ourselves. And so right now, which ones do you check? Which ones can you say you're really, honestly, this is you, a display, an expression of commitment to the body, to the teachings, to prayer? I, I, I really have an attitude of reverence and gratitude towards God. Man, every, this week, it was, it was tough, but I was able to be praising the Lord even when there was tough days Yay? Or you have to sit and say, Lord, I used to be. That used to be me. Lord, I need to change. You know, the church can really, it's, it's a wonderful program. What God designed is absolutely amazing. And I am so privileged, and Deb and I are so grateful that we have been allowed to be a part of this particular church that has been such an impact in our lives. And just, I can't share with you the blessing you have been. Many of you over the years, just your friendship, your faithfulness, your kindness, your tolerance... And it is an amazing thing to see how God brings people together and builds strangers into a family and uses them. And as they continue to help one another, it's just, it's wonderful. It is tremendous. And it's not everywhere. It's not all over. It's where people are really serious. And over the years, we have seen God bless and God use and God strengthen and build the body. And yet I have in my mind that same goal, that same vision, that same prayer, that when we pray together, when we talk about it, this is in my heart, the same thing that the builders of a building, a majestic building, one of the biggest in the world, that's called a church. They're in Seville, Spain, when the builders got together and they dedicated themselves, they wrote this resolution, they signed it, and it is there as part of this structure to just give the idea. They said, this is what we want to do. We want to build here a church so great that those who come after us will think us mad to ever dreamed of building it. I want to see you 
as a body to continue to grow in Christ in such an impacting way into our community that people after us will say, how did it get done? It was God. It was God. But God using people who were committed, cheerful, cherishing him. Be a part of that vision. Be committed to it. Even like this afternoon, we can reach out. We can make a difference. But it takes all of us to give effort, prayer, next week, the week after, the reenactment, the Calvary Clubs, ministries time and time again. God use us. Father, I pray, help us as individuals to get the concept beyond ourselves of body, of group. Help us as individuals to realize how much and desperately we are in need of the body, the group. Help us as individuals to see how much impact we can have as we work together as a body, as a group. Help us as individuals to encourage our kids by example and by teaching to maintain this concept of local church in a society that is focusing totally on the individual, help us to propagate this biblical truth of body ministry. Help us by the grace of God to reach into hearts of people and homes, to help people to get a hold of this whole concept and to then experience the blessings. Please, Father, help us to maintain a good testimony in this community. Help us as a group to maintain ministries and impact. Help us this afternoon to have boldness and compassion to talk with, to get to be engaged in other people in our community and body so as to reach out for Christ. Father, help us not to isolate, but to help us to engage in dealing with people's lives. Thank you for the attentiveness of these good people. Bless those who are sticking around and working. Bless our ministries and our supper this afternoon, this evening. Those who are going home to gather neighbors or trying to invite and come back, help them to be able to successfully contact. And Father, bless this ministry this day. But even right now, these next few minutes, help us to enjoy Christian fellowship. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.